So this morning, um, just in speaking with Keenan in the week and just processing in the sense what uh, to share on, I want to preach this morning on repentance. And uh, I've entitled the message, What is Repentance? And I want to look at an aspect, you know, we use a lot of Bible words when in our speech. Um, if you've been uh, serving the Lord and um, following Jesus for a period of time, you know, we use words a lot in our vocabulary. And we throw them around, you know, words like repent and convict and I'm saved and um, words that sometimes you know, we speak about, I'm trying to think of what other words do we use? Um, sanctification, okay, you use that word, which means to be made holy. We speak about God's holiness, um, but often what do they mean? And sometimes the words we use and are used in the Bible, we don't, we don't always maybe understand what they mean in terms of, you know, they've been changed today. And in fact, the word repentance is a word that has often been changed. There are modern teachers that say repentance is something that actually is not what the, quite what the Bible says. They say it in part, but they use it to fit their ideas and their theology. And this morning I want to preach on what is repentance and, and how important is it for us as believers to understand what repentance is. Um, and is there a place for repentance for us as children of God? And, um, and so I want to use, look at that this morning, is this word repent. And um, it's part of the foundational teachings, but it's something that I want to revisit. You know, we use words like, is that water? Thank you. Bless you. What does that mean? What does blessing mean? You know, it's like blessing or sometimes even in church, we, we sometimes, Andrew often speaks about us using Christianese. We, we speak about, we're going to take up a love offering. Now, if someone is, has got no church background and you speak about a love offering, that can sound quite weird. Like, what is a love offering? Now, we, for us, that means we pass around the basket, we're collecting money so that we can we offer money, we give money so we can bless or give it to someone often who's in us that is coming and ministering or preaching from the outside. But we use a word like love offering, but it, if you're not a Christian, it can sound like, you know, like, what are you, you guys really close? What is going on here? And, and, and sometimes it's important for us to break down what those words actually mean and understand. And that's why we're doing this word repentance. Now, you, it's interesting is that throughout the Bible, there is a call to repent, and I want to look firstly at Jesus. In Jesus, in Mark 1.15, Jesus speaks a lot about repentance. And he said this, for example, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We look at Peter. Peter, Peter preached about the word and used repentance. He says this in, in Acts 2.38. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Paul, the apostle, speaks about repentance. He also used that word, and he said, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And then, Jesus later, in the book of Revelation, speaks about repentance quite a bit. And he's speaking here to Christians, to those that are already part of the church, and he speaks to a church, and he says this in Revelation 2 verse 5, Jesus says, this is the resurrected Jesus after he has risen from the dead. Jesus says this. He says to one of the churches, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, if I have to go around the room and hand the microphone over to, you know, 
just pass it around. I have to ask you, what do you understand the word repent mean? What does it mean to repent? And I know most of us would give, uh, those of you who have heard before, but I want to say the, the, the word repent comes from a word which literally means to change your mind. Now, many of you have heard this before, to change your mind. But it's to change your mind, not just to change your thinking, but to change your mind and your thinking in a way that leads you to change your action, to change your action. That's essentially what it means. But you know, the Oxford Dictionary, um, if you read the dictionary, I don't know how many of you like the dictionary, or you've got it on your phone. Um, I use it quite a lot to often look at words that I'm not sure about, um, even me. I know there's some words that I'm not sure about. And so I was looking at the Oxford Dictionary, and you know what the Oxford Dictionary's definition of the word repent? Let me give it to you. This is the Oxford Dictionary, which is a, it's not a Christian dictionary, and it says this, to repent means to feel regret about what you have done or failed to do is a feeling of regret. In other words, a feeling of like, ah, that, ah, like you feel a remorse, you feel a sense of sorrow, it's a feeling of regret, of sorrow. And uh, that's what the, in, in other words, what you shouldn't have done. That's what the Oxford Dictionary says. But I want to ask you this morning, is that a good definition? Do you think that's a good definition of repentance? That's the world's definition of repentance. But actually, when the Bible uses the word repentance, repent, as I mentioned, from Jesus, from Peter, from Paul, from Jesus again, all the major people in the Bible that use repent, Obviously, I said it means to change your mind, to change your thinking, which leads to a change of action. And let me give you an example. Uh, last weekend, Adi and I were driving in Cape Town to Cape Town with Dan, and we were driving to a friend's house, um, Adam Hellier, Adam and Vanessa, they're old friends of ours, in Edgemead. I don't know if any of you know the Edgemead, Goodwood, Goodwood, Goodwood area. If you're from Goodwood, you go Goodwood. You don't say Goodwood. Um, you say it fast, Goodwood. You've got to say it like that. Anyway, we were driving past Goodwood, Goodwood, and we were driving into Monte Vista, Edgemead, and we were trying to find their house, and I was convinced that I knew where I was going. And so I was driving, but I was actually driving in the wrong direction. And as I was driving, well, kind of, yeah, in the wrong direction, and I didn't find their house, and I was very frustrated. And in the car, I was like, ah, but I knew this is the road, and I drove up and down that road twice. But their house wasn't in that road anymore, and I couldn't understand why I was in the wrong road. And so as we were driving down the road, and uh, I was feeling a bit frustrated, I realized, and Eddie said to me, let me get the pin, and I will direct you to where the house is. But of course, I'm a male. It's not easy to take directions from your wife, but I did. I humbled myself. And, um, and what I did was, Eddie gave me directions, and what I had to do is I realized, I had to realize I am going in the wrong direction, I have to stop, I have to get the right directions, and I have to turn, and I've got to go in the right direction. That's what repent means. And uh, now it would be ludicrous if I had to hear, these are the right directions from my wife, humbly, these are the right directions, and hear that, and then, in my own ignorance, carry on going my own direction. What would you say about me? You would say that I am a fool. Rightly so. Now, that is often what we do, is, is we hear things, we could even feel sorry about them, but the Bible says don't only change your thinking, your mind, your attitude, saying, 
this is a sense of this is not where I should be going. This is wrong. God has something else for me, and it means to change your thinking to the point that you're actually willing to change your action. You're actually willing to turn and go in a different direction, right? That's what the word metanoia or repentance means, essentially. Now, the question is, how do we repent? So when the Bible speaks about repentance, how does it actually look? How does it work? And again, what I'm doing this morning is I'm using an old word that we know, many of us have heard this before, but I want to remind us of it again to make sure that we don't get caught up just in the emotion and the feeling of feeling bad, right? How many of us, I felt like that, where you know the Lord has put his finger on something and you just feel bad, right? Well, let's look at, I'm going to give you three principles, the sense that deals with the repentance that as a people, we have to work out as a lifestyle of repentance. Because God's heart is not that you only repent or you turn around, you change direction when you become saved. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God is that we live a lifestyle of repentance. In other words, we are ongoingly turning towards Christ and turning away from the things that don't represent Jesus and don't reflect Him. It doesn't happen... Praise God, I got born again four years ago, you know. Meanwhile, you, you, made a, you made a prayer and you made a decision, but you just, you're just carrying on in that wrong direction. You've never turned. Or maybe you did turn, and then you've got sidetracked, and you're driving along, and God's heart is that we keep turning towards Christ. Why? Because we see that we drift. Interesting, um, um, but I'll look now at actually how do we repent, the three things. But one of the things we have to be careful of is while we want to be secure in the love of God, in Hebrews chapter 2, it actually warns the believers and says to them, beware that you don't drift, and if you drift. And I find that even in my own heart, my friends, I find that I drift from the Lord. Like sometimes, you know, any of you have had a car that's got the, the steering that is a bit out of alignment, when, when the wheels aren't quite, and, and if you take your hand off the wheel and it's driving and the car does that. Any of you had cars like that before? Right? And every now and again, you've got to take it back to the, the wheel shop and you've got to get them to align it. And I find in my life, if I'm not abiding in Christ and dealing with sin and making sure that I'm, I'm, I'm walking in the Lord and tending my heart and tending my thoughts and my mind, I find that I begin to drift. And I begin to drift and I've got to turn again back to Christ. And that's an ongoing process that we are called to do, actually, in the Lord. So how do we repent? Now, there's no three-step um, process in the Bible. The Bible is not a textbook. It's not a handbook. If you think that the Bible is going to give you the answers, it doesn't work like that. The Bible is obviously a letter, love letter, in a sense, written to us. And so we find these things in the Word as we look from them. But the first thing I want to give you is, number one, is repentance involves a conviction of sin a conviction of sin. That's where repentance starts, with conviction. Now, I'm using another big word, okay? And we, we actually just prayed this morning. I think you might have prayed it. Lord, convict us. What does that mean? What does it mean to be convicted? Well, I want to use, look at the scripture in two ways, uh, the word in two ways. Let's look quickly at John chapter 16, verse 8. And in John 16, 8, Jesus speaks about um, conviction, or this word convict, and I'll explain again what it means now, now. By the way, there are people today, there are pastors and teachers today that teach that God doesn't convict you anymore if you're a Christian. It's one of the, it's one of the great mis, 
um, the wrong teachings of the grace doctrine, or this hyper-grace doctrine. They teach that if you're saved, God doesn't convict you anymore of your sin because you're not a sinner. You're now a child of God, so how can God convict you if you, he doesn't see your sin? He only sees Jesus perfectly over you. And what they've done is they've actually taken something that's half true, but they've taught an error. Can Christians be convicted? And we'll look at that. So firstly, in John 16, 8, this speaks about, he's speaking about the person of the Holy Spirit. And what he does is, as he speaks about the Holy Spirit, he says that when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, and it uses the word, he will convict. And who will he convict? Not Christians. Firstly, he will convict the world. And it says he'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. What does the word convict mean? Well, in this way, the word convict means to be proven guilty. It's when, you know what it's like before you were a Christian? And you knew that you were, in the wrong, you were, you were heading in the wrong direction. You, you had a sense that you weren't pleasing to God and you weren't right with God. Why? You, you knew, and you knew you needed to turn. Any of you feel like that? We all did, because, by the way, you couldn't come to Jesus if you didn't have a sense of conviction. If you come to Jesus on the basis of, ooh, this looks nice. I wonder what Jesus can offer me. What kind of good life can you give me, Lord? How can you bless me, and, you know, what can you give me that's better than the next thing? Then that's, you're not a Christian. You're a false Christian. You can't, you have to have a sense of, oh, my word, I am lost. Oh, my word, I am guilty. You have a sense of your own guilt, and you're dirty, and you sense like, I need a Savior. And that's what the Spirit does, is that those that don't know Him, He convicts you, He puts His finger on you, on your conscience, on that part that we're born with, by the way, what is your conscience? Your conscience is effectively the inner referee of your, of, of, it's your referee that lives within you. You know, like in a football game or a rugby game, you get the ref and he blows the whistle. You know, if there's an infringement, he blows the whistle. Well, God gave us a, a conscience, this, this, this uh, mechanism that within us to know right from wrong. And what the Holy Spirit does is he works with our conscience to show us when we, when we and of course, we're born knowing that we're going in the wrong direction. Um, interesting, um, I was talking to someone quite a while ago, and he's not a believer. Uh, he's, he's, I don't want to say who it is because I don't want to, you might listen to this at some point. And, um, uh, and he's, he's not yet a believer. And this, this person, I don't know, he had a dream the one night, and God has been chasing him. He's been the hound of heaven, so to speak, as the old reformers said. He was, the Lord was chasing him. And, um, and I remember he was under deep conviction. He knew that he was in the wrong direction, and he knew that he wasn't right with God. He knew that he wasn't living in a way. He wasn't putting G Jesus was not his Lord. He kind of intellectually believed, and he knew that there was a God and that Jesus is the Son of God, but he was still driving in that direction. And he had a dream the one night. Uh, and he told me about it the next day. He said he had a dream that he was in a, um, in a waiting room, like a doctor's waiting room. And he was sitting in the waiting room, and he knew that the waiting room was actually, he was going to come not before the doctor, but before the judge. And this was the judge of the whole earth. He was going to come before God. And as he sat, sat there, he realized, I'm not ready. I'm guilty. And anyway, he woke up and he didn't do anything. He carried on. And he still, let me say, that is the Holy Spirit convicting. You're not right with me. Come back. Come to me. Come to me. But not only does he do it with unbelievers, he does it with believers. Um, Hebrews 12 verse 5. Let's look at this word convict. Now, it doesn't use the word convict, actually. It uses the word reprove. 
but I want to read it. Hebrews 12.5, and it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses your sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary. And it's actually the same Greek word as in John 16.8, when reproved by him. When as a son of God, God wants to sometimes correct you. Some versions say correct. The Greek word is convict, and it's speaking about for Christians, that God wants to convict you. What does that mean? Now, let me give you a sense of that, um, and let's look at a story where there's an actual example of someone who gets convicted in the Bible, and this is in Acts 26, 14 to 15, and it's a story of the Apostle Paul, and as we know, he had been uh, running away from the Lord. It's a really interesting story, but as he's running away from the Lord, uh, well, he's chasing Christians, killing them, uh, you know, he's, he's going his own way, and as he does so, God meets him on the road of Damascus. He falls off his donkey. It's a good thing he wasn't driving a car. Imagine falling out your car. So he has a blinding light while he's, while he's riding his donkey, and he falls off his donkey. And as he falls off his donkey, Jesus appears to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that place, he comes and realizes that this is Jesus, the one who he had rejected, who's actually God and worthy of worship. And he tells a story, and he tells the story of what happens to him. And this is interesting. He says this, and when we had fallen to the ground, we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And look at that. It says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. What does that mean? The goads. And what it was is, if you were in, if you were in the rural world, and you were a farmer, a farmer, especially someone who herded cattle, um, if you herded cattle, you would carry a stick with you, and the stick had a very sharp point that would poke someone and, and, and actually hurt someone. And that, that stick with a sharp point was called a goad. And what he's saying here is the Lord saying that actually I've been taking my stick like a, like a shepherd, you know, when, when, a, when the cattle, I, I don't know if any of you worked with cattle, but apparently that can be very difficult to move sometimes. You've got to train them. And, okay, well, I might get that wrong. But apparently what they do is, in the old days, they would poke the cattle with a stick, and it would make them uncomfortable, and they would move these cattle. And what, what he's saying here, he's saying here, is that the Lord is saying to him that I have been prodding you. I've been poking you. I have been, in a sense, convicting you. My stick, the stick of the Spirit, has been prodding and poking and, and actually doing a work in your life. And you know what you've been doing is wrong, but you've gone and you've gone your own way anyway. anyway. And he says it's hard for you to, to, to run against the prodding and the poking. And I find that principle for me as I walk with the Lord, that I find sometimes that when I resist God, that even though I can feel that he's putting his finger on something, like he prods and he pokes, because he disciplines those he loves and he wants to make us holy, if we ignore it, it's like we ignore the prodding and the poking of the Spirit. And that's what God does, is He, he takes the goad, which is the person of the Spirit, and He works in that. Um, you know, I have played guitar for many years, and when I started playing the guitar, is I started when I was about 18, and playing the guitar, how many of you play guitar here, can, can play the guitar? But if you know that playing the guitar, if you meet people who play the guitar, they've got very hard calluses on their fingertips right? You've got these, these, these calluses, these hard skin on, on the tips of your fingers. And how I got that from on, by playing guitar is you have to basically play 
and your fingers develop bruises, and they get so bruised and so sore that over time, if you ignore the pain, you've got to ignore the pain. You've got to play. I remember playing the first day. It was fun. And then I came the next day, and I tried to put my fingers on those strings that are uh, my strings were nylon strings, but some strings are steel strings. And when I put my fingers on the strings, I was like, ah! That was really sore because my fingers weren't used to that to develop a resistance against pain. And what happened was, over time, I had to ignore the pain. And then my calluses got hard. They developed calluses on my finger. I know if you play golf or you work with your hands a lot, you find that you develop these calluses because your, your, your hands get hard. And you, then you can, you can do anything with them. You can touch a hot coal. And it won't hurt you because you've got this thick skin around your hands. Now, what happens is spiritually is sometimes the Lord puts his finger on something in our lives he convicts us or he prods us, and, and, and there's a sense of like guilt or a sense of like, ah, oh, I know that I've done, this is wrong. But if we ignore that, what happens is we begin to harden our hearts. And over time, if you don't let the Lord, if you don't turn away from what you're doing, what happens is we develop a hard heart. That's what Hebrews 3 says. It says, be careful of the deceitfulness of sin that you develop a hard heart. We get calluses. And I find that even for us as believers, it's strange, you know, we can have areas in our lives that are soft, but other areas in our lives that actually can be quite hard. Quite hard, in a sense. And let me give you some examples. One of the ways that I find that I actually had developed a, a hardness, I, I'd ignored the Holy Spirit um, convicting and to speak to me over something was a number of years ago when our children were small, I, I used to actually have a, have a bad temper. Um, I know some of you would find it hard to believe, but I had a raging temper at, at times. And I, especially before I got saved, I would have such a bad temper. I used to play a lot of sport and, and I would do things like throw the racket. Uh, I used to play a lot of golf and often playing golf when I got saved even, my temper, I couldn't control it. I would hit a bad shot, and I would take my golf club, and I would throw it down the fairway like that. I, would, I was terrible. In fact, it was so bad that I actually had to give up golf. I had to stop playing sport, especially that sport, because it was making me sin. Like I would go to church, raise my hands in the air, pray in tongues, love the Lord. And then after church, we would go play golf, and I would sin. And I'd lose my temper, and I realized, like, Lord, there's a part of me that is unredeemed. So anyway, I gave it up. I realized I have to stop doing that. I had to turn around, and I gave it up for many, many years. But what happened is, after we got married, I thought that I dealt with my anger issues. And uh, we got married. The first year was wonderful, praise God. The second year was amazing. And then, the children came along. <clears throat> and so we had our first little baby. Our daughter, Michaela, she was so cute. Oh, you know, she was, we'd wrap her in like, oh, my little, our little girl. I'd always go, my girl, my girl, you know. And they'd call me Big Daddy. That was my nickname. And I'd hold this baby. And she was delightful. She was amazing. But the problem was she did not sleep. And so she would sleep for a few hours, and she would always wake up many times in the night. She did not like the cot. Sleeping was, for her, the worst thing in the world. If you put her down to sleep, that was torture. Our second daughter, Joelle, when you put her down to sleep, she'd go, ah, and she'd fall asleep. She was easy, 
But our first daughter was difficult. And, um, and what happened was, I find that when she would wake up in the middle of the night, and I'd work the next day, and AD was tired, we'd take turns, every hour she'd be waking up for months. And I remember having to hold her, and there were times where this intense anger would rise up in me. I would be so frustrated and angry. And I remember the one night, it was actually terrible, where I was so angry, part of me actually just wanted to throw her. That's how terrible it was. I was... I had no grace, no anger. I actually wanted to throw her. I was like, just stop crying. Stop waking up. And I remember having to walk into the room, and, and I put her down after like half an hour. I'm exhausted. I haven't had sleep. We've been busy days. And I remember walking out the room and stepping on one of those little baby ducks, those little plastic ducks. Quack. And then she woke up again. Quack. You know? And, and I remember struggling with my anger. Like it was a real issue. And I, it's like, where does this come from, Lord? And I remember having to bring it to the Lord. That, that, and throughout the young years, I struggled with anger. I would sometimes, not always, sometimes I would discipline them out of anger. And I would lash out at them or I'd shout at them, but not in a helpful way. And I remember the Lord had to, has to really had to deal with that part of me. I think I'm a lot better. But I know that I have to, it's something I have to watch in my life where the Holy Spirit's had to put his finger on that and say, Mike, I'm prodding you. Now, if I had to ignore that, I would develop a hard heart. My friends, are there areas for you as a believer that maybe even as you're growing up in the Lord, as you're traveling towards him, that maybe the Lord's wanting to put his finger on? You know, sometimes it can be the things we watch, the things that we are looking at, that you just kind of, over time, you just ignore the prod of the Holy Spirit. You just ignore it. And you just say, I'm going to do that anyway. And you know the Lord has put his finger on that. Thing. That's not pleasing to me. Stop. Stop. And so what happens is, it's this idea that repentance starts with a sense of actually guilt that the Lord brings. Now, I know some of you are asking the question, but what about the devil? Doesn't the devil whisper accusations? Doesn't the devil condemn? Doesn't the devil come and he's the one? So, you know, is this God or is this the devil now? It's a good question. And I would say to that, sometimes go and ask one of your leaders. Go and ask someone who's close to you saying, I'm sensing this, but I'm not sure. Can you help me? And sometimes it actually could be God, and you're actually blaming the devil. You know, like you're driving 120 in an 80 zone, and you drive fast, and then afterwards you feel a bit guilty. Go, ah, get away from me, devil. You know, I'm under grace. Don't you know I can, you know, and we, we justify. I know that's a silly example, but it's we justify sinful behavior but I want to say that the devil does come as well. And I find the difference between the two is that when the devil accuses, he gives a vague sense of guilt, and you feel condemned, but you're not sure why. And it's a vague sense of you never feel good enough. If you feel like that, that is demonic. But the Lord, when he puts his finger on you, sometimes he will make you feel guilty because he wants you to turn and he wants you to deal with that area of sin. And so... Be careful that you don't just dismiss something that actually the Lord might be putting his finger on. Go to someone if you're not sure. So the second thing, first thing involves conviction of sin. You've got to have that sense of guilt that comes from the Lord. Number two, um, I don't know if that's clear, but number two quickly is confession. Confession. So in order to repent, repentance doesn't just involve conviction, but it involves confession. And I'll give you two scriptures. Um, Psalm 32 verse 5 from the New Living Translation, I'll give this. It says, I love this. David says, I, I confessed all my sins to you 
and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I love that. I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Don't you love that? There's a sense of firstly that confession involves speaking to God and sometimes bringing it all to him. Not the parts that would suit us, but actually like David says, I confessed all my sin to you. He brought it to him. When he felt, realized he had to, he brought it to God and he let the Lord con- uh, forgive him as we do. You know, not only do we confess to the Lord, and here's the thing, is actually the Bible says that we have to confess to one another. And there's a place to actually confess our sins to people. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. Isn't that Catholic? You know, because in the Catholic church, if you've seen in the movies or you've been part like I was at the Catholic church, if you confess your sins, you go to the priest. That's what I did growing up. I went to the priest and I would confess my sins to the father, the priest. And then he would say, my son, I forgive you of your sins. You go now and you pray certain prayers. And I would pray the Our Father and the Hail Mary. And I'd go and pray. And then afterwards I'd be forgiven. That's the way it would work. And I thought when I got saved, um, I thought no ways. There's no way I'm going to ever confess my sins. I confess it only to Jesus. Um, in fact, funny story, my brother and I, when we would do confession, so we grew up in high school. Any of you been in that environment where you've been in a traditional church where you've confessed your sins to maybe the man of God or the priest, something like that, okay? And I remember um, we would go to the priest, and afterwards, my twin brother and I, and we'd talk, and he would go, we'd talk to each other like, what did you say? What did you do? And I was, I'm not telling you, you know? I'm not telling <laughs> And, um, and what the priest would do is if you were really bad, he would we'd normally give you like three Our Fathers. In other words, you have to say the prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You say that three or four times, and then you, you're forgiven. But sometimes, if you're really bad, he gives you another kind of prayer called the Hail Mary. And it's a prayer in the Catholic Church where you pray to Mary, and it, you go, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. That's how the prayer goes, blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, you know, come to us now. And then this whole prayer to Mary. And then if you're really bad, she would make you say a few Hail Marys. And I remember sometimes I'd, we'd talk in the car afterwards, and my brother would say, yeah, I've got three Hail Marys and two Our Fathers. <laughs> what? What did you do? That was so bad, you know? Like, I only got one Hail Mary, you know? And then, I'm not telling, I'm not telling, you know? <laughs> And so after getting saved, I, I just thought, Jesus, it's just me and you, you know, because you are my mediator. The Bible says that our priest is in heaven. It's Christ, and I go to him now, and we do. He's the one who forgives us of our sins. But actually, I forgot that there are parts of the Bible that say we confess to one another in a healthy way. So let's look at James. You know, James 5 says this, 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And so there's a space that not to find forgiveness um, in terms of that only the Lord can give, but sometimes you've got to be accountable with even being willing to share the darkest, deepest parts of your life with other people because that's what the family of God is. But the difference is this. You don't have to go to the man of God. You don't have to go and book an appointment with one of the elders, you know, Keenan. Okay, I've got my weekly confession appointment now, you know. 
No, 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 no. That's why we do community together. We live together. We challenge each other. We speak into each other's lives. I often have to go, I'm accountable to a number of men that speak into my life, and I share with them, this is how I'm doing, and I've actually messed up in this area, or this is how my marriage is doing, and I'm open. Someone once said, it's the unshared areas of our lives where Jesus is not Lord. The unshared areas of our lives where Jesus is not Lord. And so, my friends, confession is part of repentance. Confession means I'm owning my sin. I'm going to name it. I'm going to say what it is. You know, someone once said, uh, as a young Christian, this helped me a lot, that when I was struggling with um, thoughts of lust, and I would be thinking of uh, whatever, other woman, and I'd be, you know, my mind would go there, and I'd be, um, und- all kinds of things in my head. I'd be committing adultery in my head, like Jesus said in Matthew 5. I realized uh, what, the way I would need to pray and bring it to the Lord is I'd have a sense of like, Lord, this is wrong. But what I'd do this is I'd turn, I'd say, Lord, I confess this morning or today that I am an adulterer. That I, it's as if I've slept with someone who's not my wife. And actually, I would have to name it like that because that's what Jesus says we have to do. In other words, the sin is serious. Or Jesus says if, you commit, if you're angry in your heart with your brother... He says, it's like you've committed murder. It's as if it's murder. And the same thing, when I would struggle with anger, I would say, Lord, I am a murderer before you. It's as if I've murdered. Father, would you forgive me? I'm confessing it to you. I'm doing it as a son. I know I'm loved by God. I'm not doing it to get saved. I'm doing it because I'm in, you're my, you know, you love me, but I'm bringing it to you, Lord, and I'm confessing my sin that I might find forgiveness, as 1 John 1, 9 says. So confession is not just a general prayer, it's specific. You know, you don't say, oh Lord, you know, forgive me for all the sins I've done in the last year. Okay, that's now moving on, you know, like one blanket prayer. Or Lord, I've sinned, you know, the last week. Okay, forgive me, Lord, I'm moving on now. My friends, sometimes it's helpful to bring those specific areas to the cross to say this, I have been a glutton. I've been eating too much. God, forgive me, I'm bringing it to the cross. And sometimes it means we bring all our sin. That's what David says. I bring all my sin unto you. He's like, what? But God is interested in the details of our lives, even on those things. Amen? This is a bit uncomfortable sometimes, you know. And I know we've heard it before, but it's, it's revisiting just an old truth. Um, confession, the implication of confession, I'm going to land soon. The confession of imp- the 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 implication of confession is that we are turning away from sin. And look at this in Acts 19, where there's a group of people who confess. They confess their sins. Interesting what they do here. And it's um, in the town of the city of Ephesus. And in the city of Ephesus, there was a lot of uh, people who practiced the occult. They practiced magic, dark magic, black magic. They were into spells and all kinds of, um, yeah, just like witchcraft kinds of things. And, um, and as they became believers, the Lord convicted them of their past practices. And it says this, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. In other words, they're saying, actually, this is what I've been doing, and I'm going to bring it out for everyone to see. I'm going to divulge it for everyone to see. And the number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. 
And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. In the next verse. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Do you know what their, con- their, their rep- confession meant? It meant there was a cost. And I wonder sometimes if we're too scared to confess because of the cost attached to our confession. Maybe it's the cost of your reputation or the cost of something that, the, that you know that you haven't wanted to get, bring to the cross because it might be too painful. Um, I know, I, I, I'm, uh, but let me share a story with you. Something that has happened in one of the congregations that I am overseeing. I'm involved in a number of congregations. And last week, uh, last week one of their leaders, he's a full-time uh, leader in the church. He's a, he's, he's a public, he has public ministry. He teaches and preaches. The church loves him. And he came to me last week, Friday, actually. And he said to me, Mike, I want to confess to you something. And what he did was, he said, you know, I've been hiding this for a long, long time. Um, I brought it out a year ago, but actually, since then, I've actually gone back into the same sin. And he had actually fallen repeatedly in pornography. And he was looking at porn, watching porn. Uh, he's a married man. He's a, he's a key leader in the church, uh, in, in where he is, in Josh Jen, in one of the congregations, and he said, but there's this thing that has been chasing me, it's been on me when I, since he was 12 years old, and he grew up in a very kind of um, dysfunctional type home, it was a Christian home, but he never received affirmation from his father, he never received, and so what he would do, he would perform, he would work hard, he would do well at sport and at school, but his father always demanded more of him. And in his brokenness, he turned to porn, actually. And he found some kind of um, thing in porn that, that fed him, that actually like, uh, gave something to him of a sense of like, that it, it, it gave him a kick, it gave him a dopamine hit. And it actually fed something in him that he, uh, for years and years, he turned to porn, and the porn got worse and worse and worse, hardcore stuff. And eventually he got married, but he still couldn't break free. He got saved, he got married, but there was this one area in his life that he had, he had tried to be free, he had come into the light, but he had never properly come into the light. He had shared bits and pieces, but it was just a little bit. Never enough that he would properly divulge all the things that he had to do. And what happened was he came out and said, you know, I actually have had enough. I, I want to be free. I've believed the lie that, I can, that I'm bound and I'll never be free of sexual addiction. And he said, I've had, I've had enough. I, I have to be free. Whatever it takes, whatever the cost, I will pay the price. If I have to step out of ministry, if I have to, whatever I have to do. And so what happened was he, he said, you know, so obviously he chatted to his wife. He had processed it with her, with her. She's a godly woman. And she, obviously it was hard for her, but she was like, okay, we're going to walk the street together. I'm going to help you. But because he's in public ministry, and people know him, and we, we actually stepped him off of ministry. We've, we've stepped him aside. But he has had to publicly tell the church, in fact, he wanted to do this, that he has sinned. And he stood up, I, I joined them recently with all their leaders, their, their elders, deacons, and community leaders. And he stood up before them, and he's going to do it to the whole church, actually, uh, coming up. And what he did is said, guys, I've sinned before God, and I want to bring this into the light because I've had enough. And I've been living a lie in some ways. I've been standing up front saying to you one thing, but I've got this part of my life that's in the darkness, that's unshared. And I, I've had enough, and I'm going to share it with you. Now, 
That is not for every believer to do, but because he's a, the Bible says those who serve in eldership or that kind of role have to get rebuked publicly. And you know what? The church felt so safe because there's a sense of like, wow, you mean you're a church that actually does this kind of thing? And it's scary that unfortunately some of us have come from churches, and we've got to be careful of this, that we, for those that are in public ministry, we just kind of hide them off. You just go to the side. And we, we won't talk about it. My friends, we deal with this stuff. And for him, the point is this, um, that he counted the cost, even the cost of his reputation. And you know what the beautiful thing was when he actually confessed his sin to the whole group? I mean, talk about being vulnerable. I mean, imagine how hard that must be. That is hard. Like you just coming, suddenly you hear, and now you're saying, actually, I'm not, I, you know, I'm still that person, but actually I'm, I've got this part of my life that is shameful. And I'm going to bring it out to you and tell you about it. You know when he did that? You know what the beautiful thing was? Everyone gathered around him. I said, come, let's, let's cover him as, as Jesus would now. As he's brought it out, we're going to cover over him and we're going to love him. And the leaders gathered around him weeping. They were praying for him and his wife. And there they, they were these guys just crying and weeping before the Lord. Just like we thank you for him. He's an example for us. And rather than actually it cost him, but somehow in the Lord, it is, is, it's actually given him stature in the community because he's been willing to be open and honest about his failures. And somehow, my friends, in the church, it's like somehow we should be a people that, that it's like this is who I am. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be open about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in the light. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to put on my little Christian face. Praise God, you know. You know, meanwhile, you come, like Andrew would say, you know, him and his wife would have a fight. Um, Andrew Selly, who leads Josh Jen, when he was a pastor in PE, him and his wife had a very bad marriage. And they would fight on the way to church, fight in the car. They would argue and, and you know, and then they would, they would get out the car and they would hold hands and go, ah, you know. And meanwhile, she'd look at him like with like daggers in her eyes. I hate you. I hate you. And they wouldn't deal with the issues, but they'd walk into church, you know, yay. And apparently what happened is, sorry, many of you have heard the story, but I'll just, and so in worship one day, one of the, lead, the leaders could see that there was a problem. And in worship one day, while Andrew's raising his hands, worshiping the Lord, one of the elder's wives, a little Greek lady, feisty Greek lady, she came up to him and says, I know what the problem, I can see that you are, have been, you know, I can see your problem, come, we're going to go sort it out now. And she pulled him out, him and his wife, and they sat down and they said, you're going to make right with your wife now. This is enough. <laughs> then they went through counseling, and actually their marriage got beautifully restored. Why? Because it was done in the family of God. Confess your sins to one another, that you may be healed. Some of you have not experienced healing because you have not, you have not practiced confession. You have not experienced healing because you do not practice confession. Let me say that again. Some of you are not walking in healing, you're walking in brokenness, but God has healing for you, but you're not bringing it out, you, you're too scared, you're too ashamed. Oh, may we be a house that loves one another, with our sins and our mistakes and all. Uh, so I've, been, I've gone way too long. So I want to close. And the last, point, the last point was transformation. That was the last point, is transformation. We're being transformed into Jesus. And that is the goal, is confession, conviction, confession, transformation.
So what I'd like to do is I would like us to break bread together this morning and to pray. And just to bring, come before the Lord. Where we can pray for each other um, as Christians. And um, can, we, can we stand together? Let's stand. Okay. Let's, um, come, why don't you close your eyes with me. Let's just, before we, um, guys, stay in an attitude of prayer. I don't want you to move around or walk around. Please just stay where you are. This is, this is actually a holy moment in the Lord. Um, I've, I think the Lord has put his finger on something, and maybe he's even touch, convicting, because he, love, he disciplines those he loves. And um, let's, just, let's just close our eyes and pray. Let's just close our eyes together. Let's just take a moment and right now just wait on the Lord. Just where you are, bring your heart to the Lord. Bring your heart to God right now. Bring yourself to Him. Come into He is the God of lights. 1 John says that in him is light, and his light in him, and there's no darkness. Would you just let your, his light shine on you right now? Just let him, just, just say, Lord, here I am. Father, we want to confess this morning that you're a good father. As we read in Hebrews 12, that you're a father who disciplines your children for our good. Sometimes you make us feel a bit of pain but it said we could grow up into maturity in you. Lord, we thank you for the household of God. We thank you for a family that we can love each other and cover over our mistakes. But Lord, even that means first coming into the light in order to cover over. Come, Lord. I want to pray just for a group of people this morning that if you're here, I want to give an opportunity and you don't know the Lord or you've backslidden from him. And you want to turn away, actually, from your old life. Maybe you're someone, and you know if you die today, you don't know where you're going to go. You don't know if Jesus, if you will actually get into heaven. And I want to say, if you want to turn away from your old life, and you know that you're a sinner, you know that you've, um, but you want to turn and give your life to the Lord. I want to say the Lord has given you all the, and He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to come and, and make you new, the Bible says. But you can only do it if you turn to Jesus Christ. If you say, Jesus, would you be my Lord? Would you be my Savior? I want to say, is there anyone like that today? Just where you are, just with every head bowed, just slip up your hand and say, Mike, I want to turn from my sin. I want to choose to follow Christ. Is there anyone that hasn't done that? Or, you've, or like in the place where you should do that? Okay. All right. Okay, then for the rest of us, we're going we're gonna to break bread. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to have communion. And, um, and I want you to break bread this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to go and um, we're going to make our way out. That's probably the easiest. Well, I think you guys are going to, why don't you come stand in the front here? Um, you want to?
I feel like uh, when Mike said, some of us have not received healing because we have not confessed to one another. Ah, that hit. <laughs> Felt like you were, there was arrows coming out of that sentence. So what I want to ask us to do is, I want us to come to the front, take communion, and then guys with guys, ladies with ladies, I feel there's something in the Lord for us to actually confess our sins to one another. So if the Lord has convicted you this morning of something, that we would be bold enough that part of repentance is actually that we would change our minds and act. And that we would use this opportunity to break bread together and act on confessing our sins one to another. Um, so I want to ask that from us. I know that might be a stretch for some of us, but uh, the Lord is here in this moment to to actually give us freedom from the things that, that have been hounding us for years. And let's really, let's really tap into that. So I'm going to ask you come to the front. You take communion, grab someone, guys with guys, ladies with ladies, and then take the opportunity to pray together, break bread, and then confess your sins to one another if there's something the Lord has convicted you on. So as we do that and as we break bread, I want to remind you that uh, as we have communion, that this represents the fact that you are not punished for your sins anymore that Jesus was punished on your behalf, that we should be punished because we've, we've, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We should, but actually Jesus was punished on our behalf. He was our substitute. I want to say that when you break bread today and when we share, there's no punishment because if we note, he's put it on Jesus. All my sin was on him. We find forgiveness and freedom. So we don't judge one another. We never, you know, we never judge, I'm going to judge you now because you've done that. Rather, we come it out and we, then we, we cover each other. Don't we dare be in a place where we think we're better than one another. So we don't do that, right? Not in this house. But at the same time, we bring it out. And let's ask the Lord. And so let's do that then. And um, trust for the Lord to speak and, and for us to step out. So why don't you come and um, let's just pray for the, the body and blood. David, um, do you want to just come and just give thanks for the body and the blood? Sorry, and then we'll...